Um, Luke 15, verses 1 to 10. Um, over the, the next two weeks before we get properly into our series in the morning and in the evening, we will be looking, me and Ian, we'll be just looking at these three parables, the three evangelism parables in Luke 15. And today we are looking at the first two of those parables. So why don't we start by reading God's word together. Luke 15, 1 to 10. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and her neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Why don't I pray for us as we begin? Heavenly Father God, thank you so much for these uh, uh, very well-known, comforting passages of Scripture. Thank you for these parables that you tell. Father God, we pray that um, after we have met with you over your word, we would be more in love with your word, and tonight we would be more in love with your work. We pray all these things in your mighty name. Amen. There is a very funny, though incredibly annoying scene that is played out in our house pretty much every single morning without fail. And you can probably imagine what that looks like. And for any of you who know me really well, this won't be a surprise at all. Um, This scene involves me, usually after Jen having left the house, which is really frustrating, moving erratically and loudly through the house, throwing cushions to the floor, upending boxes, checking coat pockets in both hallway cupboards, rooting through fridges and freezers and ovens, looking under rugs and furniture, checking the loo for good measure. This scene is obviously me going through my usual routine of desperately trying to find my keys every single morning. And as I crash through the house looking for these truly necessary implements of my life, the things that I need to actually leave the house, I'm muttering and I'm chuntering under my breath, I'm getting all angry and hot and bothered, and I'm stomping around the house and I'm saying things to myself, and Toby notices this. And during the morning, he'll waltz out of the living room and he looks quizzically at me and he says with genuine concern on his face, Daddy, have you lost your keys? So often does this happen in our house that my son, like a small human version of Pavlov's dog, he recognizes all the symptoms and he immediately snaps into concerned mode. He's highly concerned for me every single morning. Daddy angrily crashing through the house, Toby following behind, offering an incredulous running commentary. But what makes all of this worthwhile... It's the moment where I find my keys, usually in the pockets of the trousers I'm wearing, and I hold them up in the air and say, found them, Toby. 
And Toby, in seeing this, balls his hands into little fists, and he launches his arms into the air, and he stands on his tiptoes, and with deliberate and insatiable joy spread across his breakfast-encrusted face, says, Woohoo, Daddy! Woohoo! Well done, Daddy! Well done! You see, every morning, there is much rejoicing in 15 Blackford Avenue over one set of keys that is found. And that's very much the image that Jesus paints here, isn't it? As we look briefly over these two weeks at these parables, especially today in these two, this is the picture that Jesus paints. Except not with a set of keys, rather with a sheep and a coin. Two things that are precious, two things that are lost, two things that are found. And once found, two things over which there is much rejoicing. You see, the most remarkable thing about these parables in particular is that they detail a daily pattern of feelings, daily in my life anyway, that we all relate to. We all relate to the overwhelming concern of having something lost to us, and the joy, the excitement, and the relief of having that thing found. It is something that we really do understand, and that's why Jesus tells us these parables, because we really feel them. And so, says Jesus, Is it the same with me? I know how this feels like. Except, says Jesus, I'm not searching for lost sheep and lost coins in the literal sense. I am searching for lost people. And that brings us on to our first observation of these two parables. Our first of three tonight, you'll see them on your service sheets. It is most obviously evident that Jesus is seeking and saving the lost. Now, to us as Christians, this might seem like an almost painfully obvious statement, but to the world, it really is incredibly radical. A couple of months back, um, I was walking home from this service in the evening, and I was listening to a panel radio program, and this panel was discussing a report that had been released that week detailing the declining numbers that go to church. And so the question was asked, was it a good week for the church, or was it a bad week for the church? One commentator said, blithely, well, obviously, it's a bad week. The presenter asked why. And he said, well, it's obvious, isn't it? Year on year, we see that there are increasingly fewer people who are searching for God. And it struck me as I listened to that comment that that was actually a remarkable thing for him to have said. But the idea of us searching for God is exactly the rhetoric of our culture, isn't it? But it's not what it says in the Bible. You see, the BBC's view of God, which is the mouthpiece of our culture, tells us that we are all on this journey, well, some of us are, those of us who seem so inclined, to look for God and see if we can spot him somewhere. It's like he's hiding and we're trying to work out where he is and what he looks like. That is quite literally the understanding of the world, I think, in regards to God. As is often the question that is asked to religious people, when and how did you find God? Well, Jesus tells us through Luke, and the Bible tells us right from Genesis 3, that that is absolutely not what is going on in our world. The unassailable truth is that it is God who is searching for man. Having 
not been in Luke together as a church, and seeing as we're jumping in briefly into chapter 15 over these next two weeks, it's, it's good to get our bearings a little bit. We're not going to spend long on this at all, because we don't have to do too much work to see that this passage, these three parables, all sit within the central part of Luke's gospel, which presents Jesus teaching his disciples about what his mission is. Jesus is delivering a training seminar, if you will, on the reason why he came to earth and what that means for humanity. And this teaching that Jesus delivers, teaching that describes his own ministry, it culminates in the big summary statement of Luke's gospel in chapter 19, verse 10, where upon having transformed Zacchaeus' life uh, from that of a wretched liar and a thief, he's a tax collector, you remember, hiding away in a sycamore tree, Jesus transforms his life into a generous lover of God and a generous lover of people. And upon that happening, Jesus finally and fully explains himself in his most simple but profound way by exclaiming, I am the Son of Man who has come to seek and to save the lost. That is Jesus' mission. Very simply, in a nutshell, to seek and to save those who are lost. And that is exactly what Luke is detailing in this middle part of his gospel. And the central part of this teaching are these three parables that that form a spine of this teaching. The lost sheep, the lost coin, next week the, the lost sons. This mission heart of Jesus is so very clearly what these parables are talking about, isn't it? Jesus is seeking lost people and he is finding them. But don't take my word for it. Let's look at these parables together in detail. First, we have a shepherd, don't we? Who notices one of his sheep is missing, so he leaves the 99 behind and goes off in search of it. He finds it, he brings it home, and he rejoices with his friends. The sheep that was now lost is now found. And think of sheep, but by far and away the stupidest creatures on the planet that by all common utterances would cease to exist as a species if humans didn't protect them. This sheep would have certainly died on its own and pretty quickly. That kind of sheep is now found and safe. Consider to the coin, says Jesus. A tenth of what this woman has in her possession. A thorough and diligent search is enacted. Light is brought in to illuminate the room. Everything is moved out. Everything is cleared and cleaned until there can be nothing left but the coin. And so it is found. This lifeless, inert coin, unable to shout out, unable to make a noise or even reveal itself, that coin has now been found. Now, can you see what's going on here? By taking these well-known parables carefully, can you see why the mission aim of Jesus is such a good place for us to start as we come to these parables? Because isn't it so obviously true that in reality, humans are far from seekers of God naturally? By no means. Rather, we are sheep and coins. You see, the analogy of the sheep and the coin isn't arbitrary. They use very deliberately, I think. Because it means that we are both foolishly wandering off to our deaths, like the idiot sheep, entirely unable to defend ourselves from anything. But not only that, we're also lying inert, incapacitated, unable to cry out in the dirt with with no way of making ourselves heard. In other words, we're not just stupid, we're also dead. Can you see what Jesus is doing? 
It can't possibly be that we as humanity are naturally seeking God. It has to be that God has always been seeking us. And if this is true, and it is, the humbling and glorious reality is that all of us sitting here tonight who are Christians were spiritually ignorant and blind and dead, like the foolish sheep and the inert coin, entirely unable to do anything about it, But then God intervened in his incredible, unrelenting love and mercy and grace and kindness. He took pity on us, physically in the form of Jesus Christ, and he comes in search for us. That's who God is. That's what he came to do. That is literally his job, to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves to hunt us down, to track us through dark ravines, to spot us lying dead in the dirt in the dark. We are entirely dependent in every single possible way on the kindness of Jesus who sets out to find us. What a glorious, glorious reality. This is Jesus' mission. I wonder as you sit here, tonight, going over these well-worn parables, just how that makes you feel. I don't wonder if, for some of us, we really feel the weight of this reality of being sheep and coins. Quite often, don't we, sometimes we feel unacceptable to God, perhaps? And I'm talking to those of us who are Christians here tonight. You feel unworthy, inadequate, inappropriate, sullied by sin, hopeless failures, truly unworthy of being in God's family, Well, that's because inherently we are. But that is exactly the kind of person, as we'll see in this passage, that the Lord Jesus came to hunt down and find and save. As a staff team, as a map team, as we wrestled with these three parables, and quite often it's the well-known easy parables that are really tough to crack... I think, we think this is the main line running through these parables. It is simply looking at our saviour, looking on the indomitable love of a relentlessly pursuing God. And if you go away with nothing else other than that tonight, then that's no bad thing. This is who God is. A relentless, loving pursuer in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ who hunted you down and found you, and captured you, and lifted you up, and carried you, and who will not let you go. Praise God. This is why Jesus' next parable that Ian will preach on next week is the perfect end to this triad of parables. Luke often takes does things in threes, he does so deliberately. For, for what does this finding look like in actual human terms? Well, it looks like the prodigal son, or or the lost younger son, who, like the sheep in parable one, wandered away from the flock. He left his home, was as far away from his father as he could possibly be, at the end of himself, desperate, the epitome of lost. Well, that was us. We were the ruined sheep, destined for death, the lost son, destined to sit in pigsties, And Jesus relentlessly pursued us, and he found us. Oh, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, wrote Newton. 
that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. What a glorious, wonderful truth to sit in this evening. And all this wonderfully brings us to our second observation of this passage. For just as Jesus is seeking and saving the lost, so there is another emphasis of his mission in this passage, and that is that the lost are hearing and repenting. Um, Go back to verse 1 and 2 with me. This will help us unlock these parables a little bit more. Let's read those. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, this is really helpful because there is another universally important truth about Jesus' mission. The first is that he does the seeking, the finding, and the saving. But hand in hand with that is the truth that it is those who listen to and hear God's words and repent who will be found by him. And if you were to flick all the way through Luke's gospel, that is exactly what we see happening. It is Mary, sister of Martha, chapter 10, who sits at the feet of Jesus and listens to him. That's the word. It is the person who is like the wise man who built his house on the rock in chapter 6 who survives the storm because he heard the word of God. The seed which produces a hundredfold in chapter 8 represents those who hear the word of God and hold it in their hearts. All the way through Luke, people are hearing Jesus' teaching. And what are these people hearing? What are they listening to? Whereby houses are built on rock and not sand and and lives are like enormous harvests of life and vitality. Well, these hearers are listening to a teaching of repentance. John the Baptist preaches a gospel of repentance in the first chapters. Jesus calls sinners to repent. And here in our passage, 15 verse 7, just read that. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. Verse 10, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. What is Jesus' mission? To seek and to save the lost. And how are they found? By listening and hearing to the words of Jesus that leads them to repentance. Now let me just say, before we move on, so as not to lose this opportunity, I wonder if there are some of you in this room tonight who have heard the words of Jesus who know the gospel but have never repented of your sins. Jesus makes it very clear that in order to be found by him, in order to be safe in him, to be the sheep that is carried on his shoulders, you need to repent of your sins. You need to admit that you're lost. The wonderful truth of the gospel is that you can do that tonight. It may be that you've been in Chalmers for years, but you haven't truly listened to Jesus' words by being serious with them by taking them into your heart, believing them for salvation. You've never repented of your sins. Well, Jesus says you're not found, you're not safe. It's a perilous situation to be in. You can make that right tonight. Because both God's searching and man's repentance upon hearing Jesus' words go hand in hand in Jesus' mission to seek and to save. That's how this works. And all the way through Luke, it is those who are hearing and being serious about Jesus' words that are coming to repentance. But what is promoted in Luke's gospel, and in the gospels at large, is the kind of people who are hearing and repenting. You see, the massive surprise in the gospels, isn't it, especially in Luke, is that it is the godless. 
the worthless, the spiritual pariahs, the tax collectors and the sinners, verse 1, that are turning to listen or who are drawing in to hear Jesus and are repenting. It is the women, the outcasts, the, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the sinners. That is, it is the ruffians, the, the Gentiles, the beggars, the, the normal punters on the street, the children, the, the publicly sexually immoral, the, the scandalous. Those in Israelite society, in other words, that didn't add up to much or who weren't part of the Jewish ruling elite. Those are the sinners. It is these people who are drawing in to hear Jesus and repenting. And what are the tax collectors? Well, they are the equivalent of the crass, bloated investment bankers of our day, if you like. The unscrupulous lawyers, the two-faced MPs, the arrogant broadcasters. It is those kinds of people who are hearing Jesus and repenting. Isn't that incredible, as we think on that? And this is really important that we get into our heads those kind of people as we get into the heart of this kind of parable. Because the big question over this passage is, what do the found look like? What do followers of Jesus look like? What do those who are saved and make it into God's kingdom look like? Well, it is abundantly clear, isn't it, that the found people are the hearing people and the repentant people, not the externally good or respectable people. And so it makes sense, doesn't it, that those who don't hear and repent remain unfound, no matter how good and respectable they look. And that brings us on to our last observation, because up until now we've missed what I think is the most important group of people in this passage. For there are a group of people that are following Jesus all the way through the book of Luke who incessantly criticize and grumble against him. And these, verse 2, are the Pharisees. Here again, they grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, I didn't know if you noticed this when we read the passage for the first time. We immediately have a problem in this passage. There is a big disconnect in this passage. And, and this disconnect happens between these Pharisees, and let's remember who they are, that is the Jewish ruling elite, those who supposedly knew God best, those who lived the best kind of lives, those who looked great on the outside, the, the hyper-spiritual, the, the respectable and the respected, there is a disconnect between them and the God they claim to serve. For they are grumbling, but what is God doing? Well, he's not grumbling, he is rejoicing. Our third observation, the Pharisees are grumbling while heaven is rejoicing. You see, Jesus is directing this part of his teaching directly to the Pharisees. We read that in verse 2. So Jesus told them this parable. And he does so, for he wants them to see one very important thing. That saving these kinds of people is what the God you so highly speak of has come to do. That's his mission, says Jesus, wrapped up in me. But you don't get it. You're, you're not on board with this. And you don't get it for one very sad reasons, reason. For, for the Pharisees, you think you're already found. They've missed the thrust of the question we asked earlier. What do the found look like? What, what do those who enter God's kingdom look like? Well, they look like repentant sinners. They look like hearers and doers of God's words. But if the Pharisees are grumbling, they are so obviously not listening to Jesus' words. 
In fact, they hate the words of Jesus. They stand resolutely against him, and so they remain unrepentant, and so they are not found. They are not part of God's kingdom. And I think it is for this reason that the grumbling of the Pharisees, that there are two very similar parables explaining the same thing. I don't know if you've wondered that. Why does Jesus explain one simple truth across these two parables? They're almost identical. Why sheep and the coin? Well, other than what we looked at earlier, whereby it's helpful for us to see that we are both stupid and dead when it comes to our trying to find God, there's also a deeper reality running in these two parables, I think, and it's all tied up in how and where the sheep and the coin are lost. Consider this. The sheep wanders far away from the fold. He's disappeared, out of sight, gone nowhere near the kingdom of heaven, depraved far away, like the sinners and the tax collectors, very much like the prodigal young, younger son in the next parable that we'll hear next week. Whereas the coin, where is that lost? Much closer to home. In fact, the coin is in the home. It's right next to the finder. And yet it is still lost, can you see? Very much like the older brother in the next parable. The older brother that grumbles while his father rejoices over the younger brother having been found. Now, can you see what is going on here? Pharisee says, Jesus, you are so close, but you are so lost. You're like the lost coin lost. You're lost within the house, close to home. You think because you know so much about God, because you're physically close, literally inside God's house, the temple, knowing his words, he thinks that makes you safe and found. Well, no, you're still lost because you will not repent because you feel like you don't need to. How many of us have been sitting in this building for years or in this congregation for years thinking that that is enough? thinking that I know all of God's words and I don't need to repent, I'm already there. Jesus says that is a very, very, very dangerous position to be in. Because looking respectable isn't what being found looks like. Being found looks like listening and repenting to Jesus' words. Don't place your fingers in your ears and remain lost. Can you see? Jesus is exposing in the Pharisees what is really going on in their hearts. But here's the kick in the teeth. To highlight this point even further, Jesus presents the reaction that the Pharisees have to Jesus' work, grumbling, against the reaction that God has to Jesus' work, which is rejoicing. And this, for most of us here in the room, and the gathered children of God, this is where we begin to turn the lens of these parables onto us. For just as the reaction of the Pharisees to Jesus' teaching exposed their hard hearts against Jesus' mission, so it is the same with us. For Chalmers Church, and this is our question tonight, are we truly, truly excited and joyful in the knowledge of the fact that Jesus has come to seek and to save the lost? Are we really? That's what's going on here. Hand on heart, are we really excited and rejoicing in the fact that wretched sinners across the world and here in Edinburgh, the the prostitutes and the investment bankers are being pursued by a relentlessly loving God? 
Do we truly rejoice when we see people hearing God's word and being serious about God's words and repenting and turning to him? Are we really engaged in Jesus' mission? Are we really? Because I think Jesus is saying here, if you're not rejoicing in this manner over these things like God does, then we should be worried. For what does that expose in our hearts? We have to be careful when applying the parables. I don't think for a moment that we, God's gathered church community, are are the Pharisees in the raw sense. We don't want Jesus dead, for example. We don't hate him. But for most of us here, are we grumblers rather than rejoicers of God's incredible mission? I know I can be more than most of you sometimes. And that's not to say that this mission isn't tragically difficult. Goodness, do I know that. But deep inside, am I in love with the fact and rejoicing in the fact that Jesus is hunting down and saving sinners and that I'm a part of that? As we start this new academic year, with our new maps starting, new ministers in training in stores, new teaching and training programs being rolled out, a new church to be planted in the south of this city, what on earth is it all for? It isn't to give us all jobs. It's not to keep us busy. It's it's not to entertain you. It it certainly isn't to have the easy life. It's so that we can be equipped to be involved in our Father's business. The heart of Luke's gospel is the heart of our Father's business. As a church, these parables are our trade. It's our meat and our drink. It is our heartbeat. It's the reason we get up in the morning. It's the reason why blow after spiritual blow won't upend us, because there are sinners that need to be saved. There are lost people that need to be found, both far and away and close to home within these walls. And what greater job is there than that? The job that makes God himself go nuts. That's what these parables are saying. Are we really convinced? Are we convinced that this is a good thing to be doing with our time? a good thing to be giving towards, a good thing to be getting excited about. You see, as much as these parables were directed at the Pharisees, this whole teaching block is directed to the disciples. They are always listening in. This is their training seminar. These parables are directed to us tonight. As we embark on a brand new year of evangelism and gospel endeavor and church vision and church planting, Are we, as disciples of Jesus, really on board with our Father's business, with Jesus' mission, with seeking and saving the lost? Because, friends, it really should be. Friends, it should be that we can cut through this church with a knife at any point and bleed a desire for the lost to be found. What a joy. The cost is colossal sometimes. The work, almost impossible. But remember where we started. This is Jesus' mission. He does the finding. We grab onto his shirt tails. We work our socks off. And we get excited. Because the joy of being involved in this business, in this mission, in this search, is unparalleled.
These three parables form the backbone of Luke's gospel. They allow us to see truly what we are really involved in. Not only do some of us need to inspect our hearts in regards to repentance tonight, that is important. Those who maybe are far away, those who are very close to home. But this gospel allows us to inspect our hearts as followers of Jesus and see if we are really up for this mission of his. And if we're not, to come to him tonight and to ask for his help in that. Why don't we do that now together as we close? Heavenly Father, God, we thank you and praise you so very much for the very simple truth that you sent your son Jesus into the world to seek out and to save sinners. Father God, for all of us sitting here tonight who uh, know you and love you, Heavenly Father, we are so, so thankful. We are so grateful. Lord, help us to remain that way. And Father God, may that spur us on to really get excited, as the Father does, about your incredible mission, to want to be on board with it, even in the really, really hard times when the cost seems too great. Heavenly Father, fill us with a joy and an urgency and a love for those who don't know you. Please, Heavenly Father, may you do that in us. May you help us through this year as we struggle in all these ways, as we find evangelism hard, as we think about planting a church. Heavenly Father God, please, please help us to be excited and on board and struck by the gospel afresh every day so that we can be excited and on board with your mission. Father God, we thank you so much for your gospel. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you so much for your blessings on this church. We pray that we would go about our Father's business with joy, even as we leave here tonight. In your mighty name, amen.